Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. What is going on? It's the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast. It is a Sunday afternoon in beautiful Los Angeles, California. We are just five days away from the opener, or four days away, however you want to actually count the days. Thursday is the opener for Los Angeles Clippers as they take on the Golden State Warriors. I'm Brandon Marcus here. Pleasure to have you with us on this podcast. We have a new guest on this pod. You have heard him on the Lob the Jam pod. He is Shap. You see him as Dr. Shap when they tweet out those podcasts. It's, you know what, we're going to give him that doctor in front. We have to give the man what he deserves, what he went to school for. He is an anteater and he joins us on the Hoopball Clippers podcast. Shap, what is going on? Welcome to the Hoopball Clippers pod. Yeah, man, zot zot. It's uh, it's nice to be on. I'm a fan of the pod. I listen to it when it comes out, so I'm excited to talk about the Clippers. It's just uh, it's exciting to be on this side too, where I'm not <laughs> introducing everybody, so it's cool. Hey, I-, I love it. And for people that were listening last week that heard Justin and I gave the guest lineup, it was supposed to be Shane this weekend, and we're gonna have Shap that we're supposed to have midweek, either before the Clippers game against the Warriors or post the Clippers game against the Warriors, but. Shane has been swamped with this Clippers preview he's putting out, and so he had to delay when he's going to be on the podcast, and Shap was generous enough to switch. So Shap is going to be doing the season preview here with us on this podcast, and then we'll hopefully have Shane either Wednesday or Friday. Going to look most likely to Friday for a recap. Shap, let's start before we even get into the whole Clippers stuff and the season that's coming. I'm sure people who listen to the podcast uh, the Law of the Jam pod, kind of know your backstory. But I'm sure there are a couple that listen to our pod that don't listen to yours and, and that may not know your backstory, even those that, that do listen to your podcast, because I'm sure you don't like talking about yourself very much. You're a very humble <laughs> man. I, I want to hear about where your Clippers r- fandom came from and just give us a little backstory. Oh, yeah. Well, So I grew up, of course, in a Laker household, like a lot of people from Southern California did. I never really connected with the team. I kind of grew up uh, when I was in that household watching, you know, the Van Exel, uh, Eddie Jones, uh, early Kobe, Shaq era Lakers. Those were my Lakers. Those were my Lakers. Super fun. Uh, I liked, I loved Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones was maybe my first favorite player. And I realized early on when he got traded um, to the Charlotte Hornets, that I didn't really like the Lakers. Like, they weren't really quite my team. Um, I kind of followed the Clippers peripherally, but I'll be honest, I didn't really fall in love with the team until the until the Darius Miles, you know, Lamar Odom, Quinn Richardson, you know, knuckleheads era. And then I just loved the team. And then my, my fandom continued. I had a buddy who uh, was a ball boy, 
would sometimes hook it up with some good tickets in the 100 bowl. So I got to see the team. I bonded with the team. And then I really got hooked probably even more so with that Elton Brand playoff year. And uh, I've been following them closely ever since. And, you know, I I, uh, I wrote for, you know, previously for, for Clips Nation probably about 10 years ago, right when the Blake Gri- uh, Griffin era started. And that's how me, Lucas, and Rob all sort of hooked up. And then we did 213 Hoops. I've been potting about the Clippers for about five years now. I wrote about them before then. So it's been like a decade of Clipper coverage. And uh, I am I am a going, I'm a diehard. I'm like, I'm definitely a Clipper fan uh, through and through. They're my team more than any other sports allegiance that I have. Um, and I love the team. And actually being able to cover them and ask, you know, some questions and pressers and, and and talk to so many smart people, Justin included. Shout out to Justin. Has been such a privilege and a pleasure. So yeah, that's me. I I covered them even when I was in med school. So it was uh it was it's been it's been great just being a Clipper fan this whole time. See, look, you drop the med school, you say you're humble, then you draw the med school <laughs> at the that's end. It. I'm not gonna mention it again. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's been great. It's been great. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. And it's funny because you have a very similar story to me because I was a Laker fan in the late nineteen nineties, early two thousands. My first jersey was Nick Van Exel. Uh, uh, yeah, because yeah. I'm not the tallest individual. I'm five foot eight. So I'm excellent, man. So good. Yeah. Just, just a, a flash, great left-handed player. I loved watching Nick Van Exel. Exactly. And he was a blast. And then I was kind of Shaq over Kobe. And in addition, oh, yes. And so that's part of it. And then also <laughs> I am currently a broadcaster and I was a broadcaster. Um, and then at the time I was an aspiring broadcaster. And so I always used to listen to Chick Hearn. And so once he passed yeah. away, it kind of drifted me even more towards the Clippers. So between the whole Shaq versus Kobe thing, um, and then also the Chick Hearn thing when he obviously left the Lakers and he was no longer their broadcaster and he passed away, I drifted towards the Clippers. We have a very similar story. So we become yeah, a di- for sure. diehard fan for a pretty long time. And I was actually given the chance to be a ball boy before a game. Um, wow. And I think I got a couple of autographs. And of course, one of them was Quentin Richardson and Elton Brand. So those guys, you, you look wow. at that team with Elton Brand, Quentin Richardson, Darius Miles, and, and even Chris Kamen is just so damn silly. I mean, those, those like, I mean, those Clippers were so fun to watch. So we have a very similar backstory there. So I'm glad to hear that. And also yeah. you dropped the two, one, three hoops. And, uh, and I want to make sure to mention that. So the law of the jam pod, of course, is where Shap, you hear him with Lucas, you hear him with Rob. And also, of course, you hear him with a couple of guests that we've had in our pod. Joey Lynn is there, Justin Wilson. So check out 213 Hoops as well. Um, again, by the way, if you hear a crying baby in the background, my apologies. My wife is, <laughs> is with my six-month-old son and trying to keep him as quiet as possible. Uh, all right. So that's your backstory. Very similar to mine. Let's get into some Clipper stuff. First, before we kind of get into a season preview, let's talk about um, Hartenstein winning the third center spot. And there was some talk about Harry Giles. Would it be Hartenstein? I mean, which of the two would end up getting the spot? In the end, it's the big man that's probably the better passer of the two and that had put up better numbers during the preseason. Curious if you think that was the right decision. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's no question to me. I mean, I don't think anybody who watched the preseason would think that Giles outperformed Harry and virtually outperformed uh, Hartenstein in virtually any way. I mean, uh, Giles's big claim to fame coming in was his elbow passing. I mean, 
We've seen, you know, clips of it. I saw him a lot with the Kings when he was his first year. Um, and that's what kind of popped to me a little bit. He has a little bit of a mid-range game too. But he's sort of this like highly touted scoring slash playmaker on the on the elbow, whereas Hardenstein, and he's even had quotes to to the extent, you know, where he mentioned, I think he mentioned that his dad one time would play him and would make sure that he never he only passed the ball. Um, when he would practice sometimes, which is crazy. And you could see it because as soon as he catches the ball on the elbow, he's looking to pass first. He, When he feels like maybe the defender is completely sagging off him, I noticed kind of later in the preseason that he would take advantage and, and kind of make hard dives to the rim. But uh, he has he is catching the ball with the intuition to pass first. And boy, if any center would work in this Ty, uh, this Ty Lue offense where it's pass, 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 that would work pretty well. Some of his bounce passes, like to cutters, were gorgeous, and we saw little clips of them in practices, uh, practice and practice. And now we've seen them in games and know that he's legit. You know, a lot of these crazy per thirty-six numbers that he had last year uh, during his short stint uh, with Cleveland, I want to say, and he played like sixteen games or so. You know, a lot of that might be small sample size theater. But from what we've seen in preseason, he seems to be the real deal as far as a passer goes. And he's had some nice flashes of defense and uh, and some nice cutting and some nice rolling to the rim, too. So I think I think he's he looks really good and uh, he looks more than just a third stringer to me, just from a purely just watching him play out there. He seems like somebody who uh, who could play second string in an ideal situation uh, for him. But. For our lineup, you know, he's a third stringer and a uh, break glass in case of needed uh, second stringer. So I'm happy to have him. Yeah, Super happy. second round pick in 2017, and he, he's still 23 years old. And I looked up his pronunciation, by the way, because I was curious. Hartenstein, right? <laughs> and, and so I was I was curious, and a listener told me it's Hartenstein. So I looked. He's actually German. So it's Hartenstein. And oh, wow. So if you look, it says S-C-H. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, so Hartenstein, I believe. So he's a German-American basketball player, obviously. Um, so he is 23 years old from born in Eugene, Oregon, um, is what the good old Wikipedia says. So anyways, to continue with what you're saying, and most importantly, the offense and how it flows. And what we see with this team is passing is so important, and every single player has to be able to, to be a good passer. And that's part of the reason why I was so excited when we got Eric Bledsoe, because he's a guy that can get to the paint and he can kick and he can start the shots that go around the horn. And you saw Isaiah during um, some practice and he was making threes. And so Harry Giles is a guy that obviously had more um, hype coming out of college and someone that had some pretty high expectations that hasn't quite lived up to them. But it it seems like Isaiah is going to give some um, stability to that position and it kind of leads me to something I wanted to discuss with you, and that's Serge Ibaka, because I was curious, would there be a point where maybe both Hartenstein and Giles make the roster because something is wrong with Ibaka? And I was with Justin Wilson last week, and he said, you're about to have Shap on. Ask him about Serge Ibaka. And I got to tell you, <laughs> we were discussing about Ibaka, and I had some concerns because I have a family member that had some pretty bad back problems and ended up having a pretty serious surgery. And the way that kind of played out last year where he came back after being out for a while and then right back to the sidelines and then having surgery and then not getting many updates on him, it kind of concerned me. But he is 
dunking out in practice. He is playing a little bit out there, three on three and maybe some five on five. So perhaps I should be a little more optimistic. Tell me why. Uh, so the big thing with Serge and the big thing for the, the type of surgery he had, we don't know. One, we they've been very hushed as far as the pre procedure that happened, yada, yada. If he had something to essentially, you know, if he had a, if he had a nerve impingement issue, which he kind of alluded to during his postgame pressers when he first came back in the regular season, um, and if he had some of his discs essentially shaved off, it's a lot of just like rehab by physical therapy at that point. I was surprised when Serge initially had surgery because, you know, we've kind of had it's not the exact same thing. But J.J. Redick many years ago, and I wrote about this back back in the day, too, um, had an issue with his back as well. Uh, and we saw him do physical therapy and he never needed to go under the knife, usually for these back issues where there's a little bit of, of, of nerve impingement or sciatica going down your leg. It's generally not surgery that happens unless it's really bad. And when Serge came back initially and looked pretty good to end the regular season, I was hoping that maybe he had avoided going under surgery and and he'd be okay. He would do physical therapy and he'd be able to give us something in the postseason. Obviously, that wasn't the case. So uh, his issues must have been much worse than previously previously alluded to. And I mean, for what it's worth, you know, Serge did mention, oh, gosh, you know, I wish I had done it before. But it's really very much a uh, let's do physical therapy and see sort of thing. So now he's had the surgery, you know, feeling better. And it's just going to be a matter of how much contact he can tolerate and how the rehab process is going. He's already doing five on five. I already did figure that he wouldn't be there to start the season with a lot of the quotes we were hearing earlier on. But really, it's going to be a feel type of thing. You know, how much does he feel? If he feels any pain, they're probably going to push things back a bit. But he's progressed quick from three on three to five on five. So I think that's promising. Um, the whole idea, Hardstein, Hardstein and Giles, um, it's tough because I, I believe Harry Harry Giles has been in the league for three to four years now, and that would essentially eliminate him from being a two-way guy. So if that's the case and we can't give him a two-way and cut a guy, you know, like say Jay Scrub or Amir Coffey, who uh, I think I think it's up to the Clipper fan to de depend on who you'd want to uh, cut sooner. Uh, depending on if you believe in Jay Scrub uh, becoming a legit scorer or mere coffee just being a nice all-around backup type guy you can bring in if you need it. But I would I would love to give Giles that two-way spot, but I don't think it's going to be feasible with his years in the league because I think there's a rule against years in the league and being two-way eligible. So then where do we sign him then? We would have to cut one of our are actually properly signed guys to the roster and there's really nobody you would probably do that for it's just a matter of fit so it's to me it doesn't seem the most feasible to bring in giles as a contracted guy like do you feel differently would you would you cut one of the actual rostered people for harry giles no i mean you look at the guys you brought up the jay scrub names and like those type of guys i'm not that very high on and right i don't say i mean amir coffee he's obviously great for a couple of brian seaman puns but but apart from that i mean <laughs> He's not someone I see as going to end up being a role player for the Clippers. And frankly, Harry Giles is, is a guy that right now, it doesn't seem like that's the case either. And they are both right. from the same draft, both Harnstein and Giles. One was the 20th pick. The other one was the 43rd pick. And it turns out the guy that's the 43rd pick is the one that ends up making the roster. So you yeah. really never know. And it, after the lottery, it's really is, quote unquote, a lottery. You never know who's going to end up being 
the guy that contributes. And in this case, yeah, it, it, as long as Ibaka's healthy and he's a guy that is able to contribute, then you are okay. Because if you only have two centers for three, four months, that's a problem. Um, and there are some people after um, after the, after seeing Isaiah in the preseason saying, oh, man, you look at those per 36 numbers. He should be starting over Zoo. It's like, e- no. Uh. No, no, no. It, it, you need to watch Zoo. You need to look at the numbers of Zoo on the floor versus off the floor. There's a reason why Zoo need to start over Montrezl Harrell two years ago in the playoffs. It, it's it's amazing what Zoo can do defensively, and he may not put up those 20 points, 13 rebound games, but what he does on the floor, both offensively and defensively, away from the ball and then on the ball defensively, it's really invaluable. So he, yeah, Zoo is like a is like a standard statistics. Like he's one of those people that can't be, I guess, unstatable to yeah. quote Doc Doc Rivers. Like you can't really put into stats like his defense, how his verticality, his screens, like all of those things are are sort of invaluable, and just his general chemistry with the team. Hardenstein. Other, on the other hand, is a stat darling. You could see it just from the preseason. Yeah. He's going to put up some incredible per 36s if he gets a little bit of run. But that doesn't mean he's better than <laughs> Zoo. <laughs> yeah, no, for yeah. sure. And DeMarcus Cousins was that way, too. I mean, you give right. him you give him a lot of minutes and he's going to end up putting some silly stats up. And you look at fantasy and, of course, hoopball is very much a fantasy site. And there's certainly some times where you rolled out DeMarcus Cousins when he was getting some playing time and it's very similar if zoo misses a game and you see Isaiah start a game, then maybe for perhaps fantasy wise, um, he could be a pretty good asset to have. Oh Uh, yeah. That first week or two, I love playing fantasy basketball. I definitely, if I was like a 20 teamer or like, you know, something 15 or above, I would think about stashing Hardenstein for those, uh, for those off days for sure. <laughs> there you go. Shap is giving some fantasy advice as well. Before yeah. we get to the Clippers actual preview, as we look at the depth chart, got to tell you folks about mybookie.ag. Ever since I start this podcast, people's always asking me for betting advice. They're asking me where I'm betting, who I'm betting on. I'm telling them I'm going to mybookie.ag. Their rep is rock solid. They've got great odds, contests, and promotions. They're doing odds boost. They did one for the NHL game for the Kraken. If there was a goal scored in that game, you got $25. It's that simple. They have those odds boosts. They want you to make money. They want you to win. Go up. Go and sign up right now. My bookie. Enter the promo code HOOPBALL and get your deposit matched halfway up to 1000 bucks. Head over to my bookie if you want to add a little excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. If you need a little bit of help, get the wager pass at HoopBall. Devin heads up the department at HoopBall Gaming. They do a great job being very forthcoming with their picks, and they're giving lots of winners. So go right now. Go to mybookie.ag. Enter the promo code HoopBall and get your deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. All right, Shap, we just discussed Zoo, so that kind of brings me to the starting lineup here for the Clippers, and that's a little bit of a preview for the center spot. Let's start with the guards and Reggie Jackson and Eric Bledsoe, as of now, will be the two starters. And we'll kind of lump those two together. Reggie Jackson, a guy that was clearly a number two behind Paul George during the postseason. And the Clippers badly need him to do the same during the regular season. He was a free agent. He ended up coming back to re-sign with the Clippers. And he is a guy that last year... If you look at what he did during the regular season, it was nothing that wowed you at all. I mean, he's a guy that initially was kicked out of the rotation 
And then there was the injury of Pat Beverly. He came back. He averaged 23 minutes per game, 67 games, 43 starts, averaged just under 11 points per game. And you look about three rebounds and three assists. And then you look at Eric Bledsoe. And he is someone the Clippers acquired in a trade to get rid of the aforementioned Pat Beverly. How do you see the Clippers guards looking, at least the starting guards? It, it really seems to me the Clippers badly need Reggie Jackson to be that number two scorer behind Paul George. If Marcus Morris is going to be 2A or 2B to Reggie Jackson's 2A or 2B. And then Bledsoe is going to have to be a guy that just seems to cause chaos, defend well, because Reggie Jackson's not the best defender and just get to the paint and get those easy buckets there or kick to the open shooters. How do you see the guards for the Clippers? Yeah, so to piggyback a little bit on Jackson and his regular season stats and his postseason stats, you know, you know, while his stats didn't pop 11-3-3, and like his splits were incredible. He shot a wild like 43.3% from three on four attempts, which is like no small feat. Um, his splits in general were really good, you know, 45% from the field, 82% from the line. And uh, he was a really steadying factor. You know, he went from, a like you mentioned, like a guy like that, you know, some people didn't even want to make the roster to start the season to the steady, essentially de facto starting point guard. I mean, he started the majority of the games and uh, he was very, very serviceable. And then he took it up a notch when it came to the postseason. And I really wanted Reggie and Terrence to start, as I think, I think a lot of Clipper fans did, because there's this idea, and I think there's still this idea that Eric Bledsoe would be best in a five-out type of offense where he'd be surrounded by shooters, would have space in, uh, going to the rim. There's this idea that Giannis and then uh, Zion were both not suitable to a guy like Eric Bledsoe because they would clog up the paint, yada, yada. I was worried about that, too. You know, I don't put a, an incredible amount of stock into the pre, into the preseason, but he did seem to have some chemistry with Avika Zubat and kind of opened up a little bit for Zoo because we haven't really had that real, like, slashing, I'm going to look for you point guard um, for a while. You know, we've had chemistry with Paul George and Kawhi with Zoo, but uh, they're not quite, like, the speedy, um, athletic, get-to-the-rim guy like Eric Bledsoe is, and you saw flashes of that in the preseason. So I'm I'm excited for Bled. I mean, it's his second time being with the Clippers, so it's exciting just to see him back in, in Clipper colors. But he got to the paint whenever he wanted. He got to the rim whenever he wanted in the preseason. It's not going to be maybe that easy in the regular season, but he still has ability. He looks good out there. He looks fit. He looks athletic. He, you know, he's not like a washed player or anything. He didn't have a great year last year. But uh, the I, entire idea of rim pressure, rim pressure, that's all we heard. Like, we need somebody who puts some pressure on the rim. We need downhill, north-south players. And that's what Eric Bledsoe is, you know? And that's what we hope Justice Winslow is, and we'll talk about him in a bit, too. So to have a guy like Bledsoe, who's this kind of proven commodity, I think he's an underrated floor raiser for this team. And, uh, and he's a usage sponge, which is really nice for a guy like Paul George. Reggie Jackson can also drift and uh and help spread the floor a little bit when eric bledsoe has a ball in his hand so we don't need to worry about that you know reggie has shown some competence with the ball in his hand sometimes can still get a little fancy for my liking um so bledsoe who is not the best decision maker himself you know we at least know he's gonna get to the rim he's gonna he's gonna kick out to shooters and we have shooters 
out there to surround him with. I think we can even have even more shooters when Serge is back in the lineup too. So I'm excited for that possibility. I like our guards, you know. I like Reggie. I, I can't say specifically I think Bledsoe will start the rest of the year because um, I'm sure Ty will do the tinkering that we know him to do. Um, but I like those pieces, and I'm becoming more and more into the idea of Eric Bledsoe um, as a piece on this team that can thrive. Yeah, he's no longer in his prime. I mean, you look at the early Suns days for him and when he was averaging his first year 17.7 points per game, the next year 17, the year after that 20 and a half, and then 21 the following year. He was certainly a guy that was a scorer and could get to the rim. He was averaging close to five rebounds per game. He was averaging over six assists per game. He, he was really doing it all, and he was shooting about 45%. So you look at last year – and his field goal percentage was at 42. But if you look at the previous years, 47.5 with Milwaukee, 48.5, 47.5. He, he is a guy that when he's not asked to do a lot, he can get that field goal percentage pretty high. And yeah. so it's going to be important for him to take good shots and not be someone that thinks he needs to take over games. And the one difference between him and Pat Beverly is that you look at Bledsoe, and he's a guy that can create a shot more so than Pat Bev. And you can ask to get a bucket when Paul George is off the floor, and that's going to stay on the floor more likely than not. And, of course, I'm jinxing the hell out of him, and I apologize for that <laughs> because I've been talking about it all summer, how he is someone that stays on the floor, and Pat Beverly has not been able to, and how important it is to have a guy that's available, especially in a year where you have Paul George who's going to have to miss some games for load management. You don't have Kawhi Leonard. You've got the Ibaka issue. Who knows how many games you're going to have to load manage with guys like Batum and Marcus Morris. So when you have a guy that I, I admittedly is 31 years old and Eric Bledsoe, you still need to have um, a guy that has had that track record of staying on the floor. And that's been the right. case for Bled. And so you just got to hope that that continues. He played last year 71 games, started 70 the year before that, 61, year before that, 78. So he's played the majority of the games over the last several years. And you mentioned how he is someone that is able to get to the rim and he's able to just play that Ty Lue style of offense. And I think that's going to be really important. And he's going to have to rebound. That's one thing that Pat Bev did really well. And I think Bledsoe yeah. can do the same. I mean, when we saw Bled, Clippers fans loved Eric Bledsoe. And then you look at his numbers, and he averaged eight and a half points per game, three rebounds, three assists. I mean, he didn't really do that much, but you could right. just tell when he was a Clipper that he is. He was so, he was so exciting. His yes. blocks. I mean, I I want to say that you know when he had some highlight blocks when he was a Clipper, he averaged. You know, he only averaged like half a block or so when he played. But for yeah. considering the minutes that he played, um, that was awesome. He was so athletic. You know, the whole mini LeBron thing kind of got torn down a bit um, <laughs> over over the summer. But uh, the reason people called him mini LeBron was his ability to get to the rim and his athleticism, his ability to make defensive plays. And and he still has some of that. And, and like you were talking with Pat, like the reason Pat got traded was availability. So it's impossible for us not to mention it before he went on his postseason run. A lot of Clipper fans didn't know what to expect from Patrick Beverly anymore. So he then he went on his run. He reminded us of who he is, and he still is that guy. I'm going to miss Pat so much. But availability is is a big deal, and I think Pat probably ideally fits the starters, you know, the healthy Clippers a little bit better than Bledsoe does. But right now, without Kawhi Leonard, I think that Bledsoe, again, like raises his floor a little bit more because of one, his availability, and two, his skill set. We need somebody to 
to get to the rim a little bit and to create those open looks from what was a historically great shooting team last year. And I think with Reggie Jackson is that with Reggie, if he's not the guy that the Clippers saw during the postseason, that's fine. Um, We're not expecting him to go nuclear like he did, but we need the guy that was during the regular season really reliable. It can get you 16 points, four rebounds, six assists in a game. Like That is the Reggie Jackson the Clippers need. If they don't get that, then I think they're going to be in a whole heap of trouble because I think they're going to need him because their guards are not great. Um, Jackson, Bledsoe, man, obviously good guys, but they don't have anybody that's that star player um, at the guard position. So that'll be important. But what they do have is Paul George. And it really feels like this is going to have to be a top five MVP type year for PG if the Clippers want to end up being in the top half of the Western Conference, which a lot of people are saying is not going to happen. And you never know with this team. They have one of the best coaches in the NBA. But you look at Paul George and able to silence the critics last year during the postseason when he was able to carry the Clippers team without Kawhi Leonard. And I am certainly someone that thought he could have been better at times. His Shooting wasn't great, but you then need to take a step back after the season ended and be like, shit, man, like there was no Kawhi. (laughs) He he was playing 40 plus minutes a game. Like your legs too would be dead after having to carry the team like he did. So it it feels like this is going to have to be a big MVP type year for Paul George. What are your thoughts on PG? Because it, it seems like it's certainly capable. The guy's 31 years old. Um, so he, he, again, is not quite in his prime, but he does have a couple of years left with his Clippers contract before they move into the Intuit Dome. Last year during the regular season, if we look at his numbers, he ended up averaging just over 23 points per game, which was pretty solid. You look at the rebounds, about six rebounds, five assists per game, shot 46.7%, which was his best shooting percentage of his career for a single season. I don't think we're going to see that again. I think when field goal percentage is going to drop off a little bit um, because he's going to have to do a little bit more. But what are we thinking about PG? Because it it certainly feels like this is going to have to be a 2018-19 PG type of year with OKC where he averaged 28 points per game for the Thunder. Right. And those are kind of the rubrics that I'm going off of. It's really an interesting year for Paul George because while the team hasn't changed too much, we have these two... Big usage guys, we want to be usage guys, and Eric Bledsoe and Justice Winslow. And then, you know, Ty Lue has already said that we're going to have Bledsoe or Jackson out there at all times. So hopefully ease a little bit of the burden off of Paul George. What I'm going to watch this season, I'll probably mention this on our pod too, um, are his threes that he's attempted per game. Like every Clipper fan wants to see, he needs to hit he needs to hit at least 10 a game to uh, average. I really want Paul George. Please, Paul George, how many times have we asked you? And in his MVP, uh, in his top three MVP vote season back in OKC, he averaged 9.8 threes attempted a game. And uh, that's easily, I want to say easily, his highest uh, attempted in a regular season. Uh, the closest I can kind of just by eyeballing, he's hit, he's gotten, he's, um, Really gone close to eight a couple of other times, but in the postseason he he can sometimes dial it up. But he really hasn't come close to that ten per game that I want him to get to, and I want him to get to ten threes a game. I don't think there's any much excuse for that, especially considering 
the rim the rim pressure guys we have that can be out there and hopefully justice winslow is also one of those guys that can hopefully be able to kick out to him and that should hopefully help save his legs a bit i would love for him to get to at least seven free throws attempted a game which is essentially what he got to during his okc mvp run that would be great you know I, I paul george hasn't been the best around the rim which is why we've also gone on him to kind of settle a little bit more for those threes because he's a historically great three-point shooter um so i'm really interested to see how he saves his legs this year considering one we need the ball in his hands a lot he was essentially the de facto point guard last year so we're going to be running a lot through paul george but having these these other guys next to him and even this new found reggie jackson next to him i'm going to be really interested to see how he picks and chooses his spots i want him to get up threes i think more than anything, for the sake of the Clippers and for the sake of his longevity this season, we want him to get to, you know, 70 games or so. Um, I want him to take threes because he's a historic three-point shooter. And if he gets them up, I think it's good thing for the good things for the Clippers. I'm not even mad when he gets those early shots up with, like, 18 left in the shot clock. Because sometimes when you're a great three-point shooter, you feel it. And then you take those shots and he hits them sometimes and often even. So I'm not even mad at those shots. I'm mad. Um, I'm mad. I don't want to grind him down more than anything. So it's going to be very interesting to watch him play all year, but please shoot more threes, Paul, please. There's been one year where Paul George has shot more than 7.9 threes per game. And that was in that 2018, 19 season where he averaged 28 points per game. Yep. He averaged 9.83. So it, it certainly seems like we're aligned here that we think that we need to get the 2018, 19 PG more so than any other PG we have seen a guy who is high usage, who's shooting a lot of threes. And, and it seems like if we can get that PG, then the Clippers should be okay. And it, it's going to be interesting to see how the Clippers load manage him. How many times he gets rested for these games? Is he, is he able to play a lot of back-to-backs? What do they do with those five games and seven nights type of thing? I mean, it's going to be a lot to manage for Ty Lue. But again, I mean, it's Paul George is certainly capable. But the question is, where will he end up when all is said and done? Will he be the guy that is talked about in the MVP conversation or is he going to be the guy that's going to be absolutely gassed and his numbers don't look very good and his shooting percentage isn't great and he's not taking a ton of threes it, it certainly seems like more likely than not uh Shaft that we're going to see a guy very similar to the one a couple of years ago with OKC fingers crossed man I hope so yeah all right so that's Paul George the final guy in the starting lineup Marcus Morris and this is a guy that was the main man with the Knicks a couple of years ago. And I was there when he took on the Clippers for an afternoon contest. And he just... <laughs> oh, that game was so hilarious, yeah, gosh. He was the, the amount of bad shots that he made in that game were just stupefying. And, and he's a guy that is certainly capable of carrying a team on certain days. I mean, you look at that Knicks season, by the way, with the team before he went to the Clippers. He was averaging 19.5 points per game. So he, again, is certainly capable... And we talked about age. He's 32. This is a very old Clippers team, which is why the Clippers love Terrence Mann so damn much, because he's really the only youth player on this team. And of course, you look at the guys who were drafted this year, Keon Johnson, Brandon Boston, etc. But it, it, this team's very old. And Marcus Morris is a guy last year that shot 47%. It was the best he had shot in his career. From three, he shot 47%. 
I don't think we can get that Marcus Morris again, Shap. It, it seems like more realistic is something around 44, 45% from the field and from three closer to around 43% or so. And even that would be pretty damn good. What are your expectations for Marcus Morris? Because I talked about Reggie Jackson and how he's going to be the 2A or 2B to Marcus Morris's 2A or 2B. It really feels like the Clippers need a big Marcus Morris year in order to be competitive. I can't believe what a good shooter Marcus Morris has been yeah. <laughs> as a Clipper, particularly last year, because in the regular season when he was a Clipper the first year, you know, he only shot 31% from three. Um, and then he turned it up in the playoffs, of course. Um, and pretty much, you know, was shooting along the lines of what he shot in the regular season. Th- that is not sustainable. Um, he's a career 38% shooter from three. You know, if we, if we, and of course, if you keep in mind that he's getting open looks, you know, expecting him to be around 40, 41%, I don't think is unreasonable. I think, you know, last season was probably enough of a sample size that you expect he's probably a little bit better of a shooter from three with the Clippers with wide open looks than maybe his career average. And, you know, he's still certainly a three-point shooter and an NBA player. So give him a bunch of open looks. He's going to hit a lot of them. He was also in empty arenas, which I do think affected a little bit of the three-point shooting as far as, you know, guys hitting shots at, like, unprecedented amounts last year. Um, Being in an empty arena might help that a little bit, but we'll see. I do think expecting Marcus to be at 40 41% or so from three is reasonable. Is he still New York Nick Marcus? I mean, can he be New York Nick Marcus? It's tough for me to say. His mobility has gone down quite a bit, especially when you see him defensively. And he has knee problems. That's always something you don't want to hear about. And his knee problems that he had in the postseason still seem to be creeping up on him in the preseason. Ah, He's kind of a concern for me. You know, I, I don't think Marcus is a perimeter defender anymore. He wasn't last year. That's fine. He's shown more preference to be kind of a big down there and sounds like he's tried to put on some muscle. I I, I don't know what to expect from Marcus, how much we can really expect him to be the secondary scorer on this team. You know, I think I think some of that onus, like you said, should fall on Reggie, should maybe fall on Terrence, may even fall on Luke Kennard, who's looked really impressive uh, over the preseason over training camp, has had a lot of great things in his life happen too. kudos to Luke. I'm worried about Marcus, if I'm being totally honest. I, I, I get a little bit worried about his longevity, um, a little bit worried about our expectations from him versus what kind of player he is now. You know, I, I've already been pleasantly surprised by a lot of Marcus stuff uh, from his Clippers tenure. I think he's completely embraced being exactly the kind of player he needs to be. I wonder what role he wants with this team right now and what role he can give to us. Because... I understand that Marcus can take some of those, you know, Kawhi Leonard on the elbow post-ups into a tough mid-range jumper. He won't hit them at Kawhi's rate, but he can hit them. How much we should depend on him to do that is another question. You know, we got a couple of those games in those last couple of game fives. He had a great game six closeout against the Suns when nobody else seemed to play well either. Yeah, I think I don't know how much of a day-to-day kind of guy he is. And I think that he's just like a very quick spurts of that guy type of player now. Whether, you know, maybe he'll prove me wrong and he'll show me. But I just feel like the trends we've seen would be for me to ask fans maybe not to ask too much out of Marcus Morris this year. 
That's interesting because I, I just said that he has to be the 2A or 2B, and it, <laughs> it, it, it's tough because if, if he's not that guy, I, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen with the Clippers. It feels like he's kind of got to be a guy that gives the Clippers – uh, I guess if, if he's not going to give him a ton of production numbers-wise, efficiency, he's got to be good. He's got to be close to that 47, 47 he was last year, which is a lot to ask for. So he'll certainly be, I think, a guy to keep an eye on for the Clippers and will be very important to see how the Clippers do with and without him and uh, what he's able I, I to feel, give the I team. feel like the Clippers can be sneaky because I don't know if they have like a, a clear-cut two guy yeah. I'm, I maybe would lean towards Reggie maybe being an offensive clear-cut two guy but I think they have a sprinkle of a lot of guys who are who would be quality third options on teams and it goes like across the roster almost between Morris between Reggie between a guy like Terrence Mann hopefully will t- who will take a little bit of a leap a guy like hopefully Luke Kennard who could take maybe a little bit of a leap um, I think they have a good smattering of really quality guys I uh, Behind Paul George, it's hard for me to be like, oh, that's the second guy on the team. I think it could be a different guy a lot of the games. I would love for it to be Marcus. I, I hope he shows me like, oh, he can be this guy. Um, I'm just I'm a little skeptical. I, I I feel like he was put in the ideal position for him last year. And that's still a good spot for him. How much more? And I think Marcus absolutely is ready for a bigger role. I, I just wonder how his body can handle it. And uh, and the results we'll see. Yeah. I, I really hope that he's able to produce because it, it, you mentioned it, it. They don't really have that number two type guy. And if Reggie Jackson's your number two type guy, I'm not quite sure that's going <laughs> to, that's going to be a recipe to make the playoffs. I mean, the Clippers hey, Reggie, R- Reggie made me look like an idiot all postseason yeah, last year. So, it, so maybe do it again. You never know. And, and we'll give predictions later, but if, if you're getting um, Reggie Jackson as your number two, and he's not producing quite the numbers that he did last year, you're looking at possibly a play-in game. So we'll see, though. Um, before we get to the guys on the bench, today's episode is brought to you by Manscaped, our go-to for men's below-the-waist grooming products. Manscaped, it's time to stop, drop, order this brand-new shaving kit they just launched. Introducing the Ultra Smooth Package, a specialized groin shaving kit to help you buff, protect, and smooth your most sensitive areas. I'm talking about their new Crop Shaver, Crop Exfoliator, and Crop Gel. It's time to crop that bush of yours and get right to the roots of the discount just for you. Get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the, ho- with the code HOOPBALL20. They now have the razor and have you ready to get trimmed from front to back. You no longer have to use those scissors. No accidents for you. Make sure you check out their products. I just mentioned a couple of them. Of course, they've got that lawnmower 4.0. It does everything you need it. Two and much, much more. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HoopBall20 at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code HoopBall20 at Manscaped.com. Smooth it out, fellows with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. All right, after that, that means it's time to go to the bench, Shap. Mm-hmm. I'm going to group these, group these guys together, um, and we can kind of talk about them as one unit. And we've already talked about a couple of them. Terrence Mann, Nicholas Batum, Justice Winslow, Luke Kennard, we already discussed the centers, so we don't need to go into the Abaca and the Isaiah Hartenstein um, combo over there. So let's talk about the Batum, Mann, Winslow, Kennard, those four guys. For the Clippers, of course, they know what they're getting with Batum. Just a solid dude that can get out there, make some threes, provide some good defense. He showed last year that he has been rejuvenated. He loves playing for the Clippers. 
His wife loves being in Los Angeles. Terrence Mann was a guy that burst onto the scene last year during the postseason that made his name known to the fans with what he did against the Utah Jazz. Just tremendous. And he's a guy that we saw during a couple of different preseasons that was fantastic. And we were wondering when it was going to end up going into the regular season and translating there. Luke Kennard, of course, developed a little bit of confidence. And then you've got Justice Winslow, another guy that had some hype coming out of Duke. And he was the 10th overall pick by Miami in 2015. He's battled some injuries, so the Clippers don't quite know what they're going to get from him. How do you like the Clippers bench unit? And talk about a couple of players, I mean, that, that really stand out for you. And it feels like it really does start with Terrence Mann for the Los Angeles Clippers off the bench, that he has a chance to beat this. Yeah, I would say he has a chance to be in there for sixth man of the year. What do you think? I, I'm I'm excited for the bench. There are a lot of guys I like. You know, Terrence, uh, I think Terrence will get a crack at starting at some point in, in the regular season, and I wonder how that's going to go. Um, I do think that he'll have a shot at sixth man of the year. Part of my qu- uh, question for that will be, you know, will he start? many games uh, and then kind of maybe take a little bit of that shine off, you know, most improved players also going to be something that's going to be out there for Terrence. If he gets them or not, you know, who knows it's, it's going to be tough, especially if the Clippers are maybe like a lower West seed and, and it'll be harder for him to get some votes, but I'm excited for Terrence. I mean, you know, again, sometimes the preseason more than anything gives you an idea of some trends and some habits and health things. Um, and I think for this unit particularly and Terrence, you could see a bit of his aggression out there and his half court aggression, his little bit of, of his uh, mid range, you know, turnaround fadeaways. He had a one legged Dirk like uh, fadeaway that he made uh, in that nuggets game. I want to say that helped win that game for the Clippers. Um, just more aggressive out there. There's still that same hesitance on his three point shot, you know, and he's still one of those guys that has a little bit of a wind up on his three. So hesitating on that wind up makes it even harder for like the defense to respect that three point shot. So Terrence needs to kind of get over that a little bit. It's hard, you know, he's not been a shooter until Rudy Gobert was uh, was guarding him and was under the basket. So uh, Terrence can get to the point a little bit with a little bit more confidence in that jumper. That'll come, I think. He's put in the work. He looked great out in the in preseason. He looks like he's ready for the next leap in his development. And I think Clipper fans are very, very right to be very excited. He just signed that two-year contract for $11 million. Uh, times two, so $22 million uh, two-year extension, which uh, I think he'll be worth every penny for, especially if he keeps developing the way he is. So I think Clipper fans should be excited about Terrence Mann, and this season specifically. T-Man is just someone the Clippers need to be good. And uh, it's because I mentioned the very aging roster that they've got. And these guys are not going to get younger. They're not going to get healthier. These guys that are hurt, um, that are in their 30s, they're not all of a sudden going to start becoming dudes that go and play 82 games a year. It's just not going to happen. So you need that youth on your roster. You need that high-energy type player on your roster. And Terrence Mann needs to be that guy. And I really think alongside Team Mann, the Clippers need Luke Kennard to be really good. And, of course, you've got that contract, four years, $64 million. And I've said on this podcast that I don't hate the fact that they signed Luke Kennard I just don't know who else was offering him $16 million a year. That was my biggest gripe with the contract when it happened, was not the amount, just who else was offering that? I mean, <laughs> it, it's just who else was giving him $16 million a year after 
an injury. And I never thought it made sense, but he has shown in glimpses, Shap, that he is certainly a guy that can provide shooting for the Clippers, and shooting does not come cheap. And if he can become a guy that is a confidence-type shooter that gets that confidence, the Clippers could be dangerous. And it really feels like this is a team that is going to have to rely on their bench unit this season, and it's not just going to be a starting lineup that gets 85% of their points. That's not going to happen with this Clippers team. They're going to need guys that are going to rotate in and out. And Ty Lewis talked about how he really only wants to play nine guys, which means that a starter is going to be on the floor at all times. You're not going to see a whole bench unit type Doc Rivers team. That's just not going to happen. And so it feels like if you surround Luke Kennard with guys like PG and Bled and Marcus Morris, it's certainly a chance where you can spread the floor and get Kennard some open shots. Do you agree with me that it feels like Kennard has to be good for this Clippers team to be good? Yo, I I am so excited for this Luke Kennard season. I, I can't tell you how excited I am for, for to watch Luke Kennard. Yes, I agree with you. I think he has to be good, and I think he's going to be good. I, I don't know what it is. I just have a vibe from him. And uh, just watching him get up shots, like you think he averaged like 11 shots a game in like in like 24 minutes or something of uh, preseason basketball. And I think he's hunting for shots. He's a little, a little JJ Redick esque the way he's moving off the ball. We're seeing a lot of cool designated handoffs, uh, a lot of screen and relocating a lot of even some cutting from Luke and he's getting shots up and that's all we've wanted. And as long as Luke consistently gets shots up, he's going to be a threat on this Clipper team. He's going to have more gravity. We saw, I want to say in that Dallas game, when he got on a roll, he was starting to get like so much attention from the defense and just eyes keeping an eye on him. That's the kind of stuff that JJ Redick used to do. And I think <laughs> when I used to play and I, I used to be at like the peak of my playing days and I was never very good. I love running off the ball. And I love when people were, when, when people paid attention to where I was moving and I used to love screening and relocating and all that stuff. So I think I have a certain affinity for, for guys like this. JJ Redick was my, the guy I watched the most probably as far as just watching him and uh, on the court when he was on there on offense, because I loved just seeing how much he would pull a defense. And I think Kennard has that potential. I kept, I kept wanting Luke to show some playmaking chops last year with the Clippers because he was playing point guard with Detroit. Uh, we, we, we saw some glimpses of some very nice reads he would have. And uh, I didn't want him to just, just be a J.J. Redick, Landry Shamet type of player. I wanted him to be a little bit more dynamic. I think that was misguided. I, I think he's a shooter, and I think shooters shoot. And I think wanting him to be a playmaker, especially when we have guys like Bledsoe and hopefully Winslow, um, is a little misguided. We should want him to catch and shoot, maybe do some secondary playmaking when he sucks in that defense a little bit better than maybe J.J. ever could have done, though he improved a little bit during his latter years as a Clipper. So if Luke Kennard can be that guy and he can get up, you know, 12, 13, 14 shots a game and hit everything in his usual clips, we know that Luke Kennard is a hell of a shooter. I mean, he shot 48% from the field last year, 41% from three, 
Um, he's been a great free throw shooter his whole career. I'm sorry, in 41%, that was from the postseason. He was 45% from three in the in the regular season last year. So yeah. that's killer, man. And I think anything we know about Luke is that he can he can make buckets from anywhere in the court. And he's had this nice, like, he has a lot of nice little moves in his pocket. He has that nice, like, dribble up to the three-point line. He kind of does this, like, little look away to whoever's near him, and then he just pops. Like, he does all these, like, little nice things in his bag that I'm excited for. I'm a little worried. You know, I know he has history of knee tendonitis. He's going to do a lot of running, you know, this year. So I want to make sure that that doesn't come back in spades at all. He's going to be running a lot. And he did a bit of running last year, but I think I know now he knows who he is a little bit more in this team. So I'm hoping that he can stay healthy, just like I hope for every player. But man, I am probably the most excited for Luke Kennard this season as far as making another leap. I'm excited for him. I agree that contract was hefty, but I think he might maybe be worth it a little bit at the end of the season. That was way more Luke Kennard hype than I ever expected to get on this podcast. I love Luke Kennard, man. I'm a guy. I, even last year on the pod, like I kept telling Lucas and Rob that I thought Luke Kennard was going to have a game and save us a couple times in the postseason. This was when he was out of the rotation. Um, and he did. You know, he had a couple of games. Like, I, I, I'm excited about Luke. I, I think... I think he's he's going to be a nice player for us this year. And you're right. I think he has to be nice for this team to be successful, for them not to be a play-in type of team. I think Kennard needs to really flash that offensive skill. Um, and I think he will. So that's what that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm glad you brought up that 45% from three because I don't think people realized how good he was from three last year. He just didn't get many opportunities and he wasn't that high volume type dude. And so if he ends up being that guy that can put up let's say eight to 11 threes a game. He's certainly someone that can. Oh, I get, hope. I, I don't think he'll get, I don't he think won't. he'll be that shy. No, but, <laughs> but shy. in some games, he's going to certainly put up eight to 11 threes. And so right. you're going to see if that happens, he's going to score easily 12 to 15 points. And that's going to be really yep. important for the yep. Clippers. So again, shooting does not come cheap, but Kennard has to be someone that the Clippers can rely on and can get that confidence because he, if he's able to get that confidence and he's able to play on the ball, and then off the ball as well. He can be someone that helps the Clippers. And and you last, let's finish this off with Justin Winslow. I've got, I've got six-man vibes on Luke Kennard. Just oh, oh, boy. That is a bold prediction. I think team man over Luke Kennard. But, but, but I, I, I like the shout. I like the shout. I like the confidence. Oh, yeah. it's getting me hyped for Luke Kennard. And, and there, <laughs> I, I have certainly had a couple of words here on this podcast where I'm upset with the contract. I'm not upset with the player. Luke Kennard's a good dude, man. Shout out Luke Kennard, who just got engaged. Just uh, got engaged, got a new house in Tarzana, you know, won, won the, the fishing thing with the Clippers. Like, good vibes for Luke Kennard. I mean, I, I just, I'm on it, man. Am I cut? I mean, am I neighbors with Luke Kennard now? Because I'm in Tarzana <laughs> you too. You're Tarzana? You might be. <laughs> oh, man. I'll have you know, to... I'm telling you, man, like the inland, I mean, I, I'll, I'm going to be scoping houses eventually to the inland, emp- uh, like not inland empire, but the valley. The valley. Where it's at. Yeah. Where it's at. Yeah. Inland Empire. That's far away. That That's the. Oh, no, no. That's <laughs> San Bernardino. <laughs> that's, yeah, that, that's pretty far away. No no hate against the Riverside area and all that. But that. Yeah, shout out to Riverside. There you go. Shout out to Riverside. Shout out to Irvine, the home of the Anteaters, the home of Shap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, awesome. All right. Let's wrap this up with Justin, Justice Winslow, um, someone that has not been able to really be on the floor at all. 26 games in 2020-21 with Memphis. The year before that with Miami, he played 11 games. 66 the year before that with Miami, 68 the year before that, 18 before that. He is someone that has battled injuries, but he is someone 
that can fill it up when healthy. He can get you points, rebounds, assists, steals. The question is, can he stay healthy? He is someone that if you look at the depth chart, you see him as a backup point guard. You also see him as a backup center. It feels like he is the definition of a wild card shaft, that we have no effing clue what we're going to get from Justice Winslow this year. But he is certainly there amongst the rebuilding type players the Clippers have tried to revive a guy like Nick Batum, who we're not really going to talk about. I mean, you, you know what you're going to get from him. But yeah, it, we, we know Nick. It, yeah. it feels like Justice Winslow someone that the Clippers really have a chance to revive his career, and it's possible they do. It's possible they don't, and he's useless. Where do you lie on the Justice Winslow importance train for the Clippers? Man, I think you nailed a lot of my of the vibe with Justice Winslow. If he was a contributor who was, you know, essentially the backup point guard running a lot of great plays, playing great defense for the second unit, maybe even getting, you know, 20 minutes or so a game um, and really putting his imprint on that second unit, maybe even closing some games that they needed another defender and they wanted to give George a little bit of time off and Justice has that big body you know, you could see that. And if he was completely out of the rotation, I also wouldn't be surprised. He has such a variance about him. The good thing about the preseason, he didn't look hurt per se. So, and he said as much, he's gone on record saying this is the best he's felt in months. And probably, you know, since his hip surgery, man, hip surgery is such a heavy phrase to use for a basketball player, which is like another reason why I, I have my 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 feelings kind of checked. He's not the explosive type of, of rim runner that Eric Bledsoe can be, but he has this big body where he has this bully ball aspect about him about getting to the rim. He's a good passer. Um, his shot, <laughs> it's kind of broken uh, from what I've seen. It, it's, it's rough, his shot. I can't believe he shot so well from the corners that one year in Miami. I think he shot... Uh, like 37 and a half percent hit that one breakout year he had in Miami yep. where he was 12, five and five or so. Um, it's almost stunning that he shot that well, because when you see him, when you saw him shoot a few times in the preseason, he had some real bricks like, oh, boy, he uh, he really uh, did not shoot well uh, a few times. He had some jumpers, I think, in the last game that went in early. But uh, I, I don't know what to expect from him. He seems like especially a guy that needs the ball in his hands. The Clippers did run some li- nice sneaky, I want to say in the, maybe the first Denver game, um, some handoffs that he had in the elbow, and then he rolled to the rim. Kind of cool. That's stuff I'd love to see from Winslow a little bit, uh, being used as a, as a center a little bit in some small ball lineups. I think that would be a nice role for Winslow. Um the variance on him is just wild. Like, I, I really don't know what to expect from him. I feel like I lean a little bit more towards him not being the guy that we hope him to be than yeah. being the guy we hope him to be. But it's hard to say. It's just hard to say. He didn't. He wasn't particularly impressive in the preseason, but he wasn't like a huge letdown or anything. Um, it, it's just hard to say. With a guy who needs the ball in his hands, it seems to do a lot of things kind of okay. Uh, so it leads me to be a slightly pessimistic with him. But the big thing is, if I see him go on a defending rampage like he can, then I'll be really excited about Justice Winslow because he was a defender first when he was healthy. Um, and if he can show those those flashes, then I'll get really excited about Justice Winslow. So really, honestly, the jury's out for me with Justice, and I hope he can show up. I really, I really hope that he can play well. He's on a bit of a prove-it deal. And I hope he can prove it. 
if you look at the 16-17 season, granted he only played 18 games, but he averaged about a steal and a half per game. So he certainly has the ability to provide some defense for the Clippers. And that year, it's someone that averaged also five rebounds per game and nearly four assists per game with 11 points. And so I'm kind of with you there. I don't think we're going to get a whole lot from Justice Winslow this season, but it's certainly a guy that can all of a sudden be like, oh, shit, the Clippers have Justice Winslow. He's doing really well this season. I wouldn't be surprised by that either with the Clippers development staff and what they've done. So it's fascinating because the Clippers have PG and then a bunch of other role players, it feels like. Not someone that's going to really be on that max contract, that's going to wow yeah. you, that's going to put up those numbers. When I mean, you play fantasy basketball, it, it, you don't really have many top 100 guys. It's PG who's a first rounder. Yeah. And after that, there's really not a whole lot for the Clippers. Man, Sean, back in my prime day, Sean Marion was the best fantasy player for yeah. a good stretch of five years. <laughs> uh, he was like by far the number one pick like back in the day. So, yeah, you're not looking. when you, Stats don't really always correlate with relevance. Yeah. It's, really, it's really a thing. Yeah, I mean, you look at Giannis and he's not a number one pick, even though he's fantastic. And Luka is not even, even a top 20 guy when you look at fantasy basketball because of percentages and turnovers. So you just never know what you're going to get. And so this Clippers team, let's re- finish this off, Shaq, with our prediction. It, it feels like, to me, this is a Clippers team that ends up, I, I would say, as either the 6 or the 7 seed. Um, I think that's where they're going to end up. It feels like the good coaching is going to help them finish as that top 6 or 7 team. Let's not forget the Clip- the Lakers ended up as that 7 seed last year. So it feels like the Clippers are going to end up um, close to that seven spot. Where do you think when all is said and done, the Clippers will finish? I'm hoping six. You know, I think they could finish anywhere between four through eight or so. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe even nine. Um, but I, I'm hoping I'm hoping six is where they finish. You know, I think maybe, maybe, maybe 46, 45, 46 wins um, and a six seed. I would, if they, if they finish outside of the play-in, like in, in the actual playoffs without the play-in, I can already consider the season like a success. Like, I think that would be great if they finish in the play in. I don't even consider the season like a failure or anything. That's a bummer. And hopefully I think this team is good enough that they should make the playoffs proper. So like, um, but what, what I'm hoping is, is a six seed. I think the six seed is reasonable and, uh, and that's what I hope. Yep. Yep. We'll see. It'll certainly be fascinating. This is going to be probably one of the most interesting Clippers years we've seen in a long time. We have no idea what what to expect from this Clippers team. There's a lot of injuries, obviously, um, that we have to keep an eye on. And will Kawhi Leonard come back? I've always been during the summer in the Kawhi Leonard will come back for the postseason um, and maybe even earlier because he's able to risk it because he's got the bag now. But who knows? It's going to be interesting to see what happens with this team. Shap, it's been a pleasure. Go ahead and promote yourself. Promote where you can find your writing, your podcast. Give it to every. Give everything to the listener. Uh, so I do a podcast uh, called the Law of the Jam. The podcast. It's uh, you know we have a lot of great people on it. Lucas and Rob are are on it. We're about to do this really cool. Um, media roundup thing that we're about to put out like soon uh like today and tomorrow really so i'm excited for everybody to listen to that um you can find us on wherever you find pods you know apple you know uh stitcher blah 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 all those things leave us nice reviews all that uh two and three hoops is where i write maybe once a year (laughs) but we have a lot of better writers who write consistently we do player previews we do game recaps we do nice editorial pieces we have some really great writers on there and we're independent so uh 
go over there, support the pod, support the website. Uh, we have great people doing Clipper stuff that have been doing Clipper stuff for ages and are new to Clippers. So like we we would love for everybody to to check out that community, listen to the podcast and uh, and yeah, keep listening to this pod too. I love the stuff you do here, uh, Brandon, and, and uh, I'm going to keep listening too. So it's been a pleasure to be on and thank you for having me on. And now you see why I invited Shap on to this podcast. What a man <laughs> of the people. Big thanks. And Go ahead, go listen to the Law of the Jam pod. Read everything at 213 Hoops. The Clippers open up their season on Thursday. We are just a couple of days away. Clippers at Warriors, 7 o'clock p.m. Pacific time on TNT. The regular season opens up in just two days. The Clippers in four days against the Warriors. We will have a recap most likely on Friday. Hoping to have Shane Young on the pod. We'll see how that goes. Go ahead, follow Hoopball Clips on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at BD Marcus. You can follow Shap at the Lob the Jam Pod on Twitter. Um, you don't have any other Twitter handles you want to shout out there, do you? Oh no, no. I try and stay okay. away from Twitter, but I can't because okay. the Clippers. <laughs> but uh, that's the that's the, the the handle I use to talk about the clips. So yeah, go follow. Um, yeah, thank you. Sweet. So until next time, he's Shap. I'm Brandon. Until. The next time we chat after the Clippers season opener, I'm Brandon Marcus. We'll talk to you next time and go Clips. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.